I care very much about legal happiness. I love lawyers very much. It sounds a bit silly, but it's true. I think very many of you have skills that maybe are not being fully realized in the jobs that you do. So if you want to enjoy your work, if you want to not just feel like you're standing still, you've got to have a response to these headwinds. Welcome to this episode of The Crafty Show. I'm Ben White, the founder of Crafty Council. To kick off season four of this podcast, we have a very special episode in store today. The highlight of my year so far has certainly been Crafty Fest, and I know that's true for many of you as well. Crafty Fest 2023. Now, there was the music, the games, the barbecue, the fun, the sunshine, but people have kept talking to me about the keynote, the keynote, the keynote. Why are they talking about the keynote? Andy Cook, General Counsel at Travel Park. Who is he? An evangelist for technology in legal and a person who's not afraid to be somewhat provocative at times. But it wasn't just about the who, it was about the message. Convenience, immediacy and visibility. All sound like good things, but in Andy's view, all represent challenges about modern life, challenges for in-house legal teams. And his solution is for legal to see itself as a product. A product. What does that mean? Well, listen to our recording of Andy's keynote to find out and find out why Andy thinks that in-house legal at worst can be a little bit clingy, somewhat needy partners. And you can also, probably for the first time in a legal podcast, hear about the sexual kinks of the finance team and why they're relevant for this. Enjoy. My name's Andy Cook. I'm General Counsel at Travel Perk. Lovely to meet you all. I want to start off by talking about an advert that I saw. And the tagline in the advert was, it's for a legal tech product, get legal the love it deserves. Love deserves. They're two interesting words. And this advert really upset me for two reasons. Number one, I want to introduce you to a personality type. It's called the insecure overachiever, right? The insecure overachiever is defined by the fact that they take validation, not from their own work, but from other people. Okay, they need other people to say good job in order for themselves to feel that they've done a good job. Why am I talking about that personality type? Well, that personality type predominates in law firms. If you read an FT report from a couple of years ago, it says that some law firms specifically hire for that personality type. Why? Because for the insecure overachiever, 1,500 billable hours is never enough. They're going to put that phone down, they're going to get concerned that someone's going to send them an email, and they're going to miss it, and then they're going to get stressed, and so on. Insecure overachievers are the victims and the perpetrators of the well-being crisis in legal. To tell those people that your product's going to make them loved, I don't love that. Second reason. There has never been, in the history of sales, a conference called How to be Loved in Sales. It, imagine your CFO coming to you and saying, do you know what? All I really want is to be loved. We know what finance people want. They want an up-to-date copy of Excel and to have their sex kinks indulged. But loved, not so much. And this is the thing that really bothers me about it. This idea that legal needs to be loved exposes us as being needy. We are like the ghosted girlfriend 
or the ghosted boyfriend in a teenage romance. We're still reaching out to the business, but something's not there. This neediness, I want to lean into that. I want to talk about value. I want to talk about how we create value in-house. And I want to talk about customer centricity. I'm going to talk today about three headwinds that are facing in-house legal, that are facing all of us. And then I'm going to talk about how we respond to those headwinds at Travel Perk and talk about legal as a product. Headwind number one. One of the things that I hear very often, and you see it on LinkedIn and these kind of things, is clients are becoming increasingly unreasonable. And I think that's bullshit. And I can demonstrate it with science. So on the bottom line, we've got legal throughput. If you took somebody from 2003 and brought them through to 2023, and what can only be described as the world's shittest back to the future plot, right? And said, use these legal tools, they would find basically the same set of tools to do the job. DocuSign was invented in 2003, Outlook, Word. Okay? There hasn't really been a considerable change in the technology that we use. There was an uptick in 2015 when CLMs came around. You've got Ironclad and Juro coming around around that kind of time. But CLMs, according to the internet, have only got about 15% market penetration. So not transformationally different, but different. Okay, fine. Now let's contrast that with what's been happening with technology in all other aspects of our lives, B2C. 2003 is the launch of the BlackBerry 6210. Why do I specifically talk about that model? It's the one with the phone. Okay, so you've got email and phone, i.e. the office is now in your pocket. Thank God, 24 hours a day, people can get in touch with you. I was doing this talk for the team yesterday as a practice, and our paralegal said, what's a BlackBerry? <laughs> Feel so old. Um, so, five years later, RIP the BlackBerry because the iPhone is here and it's got two features I want to talk about. First one is location services. It knows where you are. Number two, it's got an app store. It's got a platform that you can launch software on and scale very quickly. And those two things come together a few short years later in Uber. I want to dive into Uber a little bit. 131 million people used Uber last year. That's an 11% increase on the previous year. and That's an 11x multiple of the number of people that used it in 2015. So people like using Uber. And why do they like using Uber? Number one, it's very convenient. Okay? You can dial it up on demand, four clicks, a limo is at your feet. That's the kind of experience, broadly, that was kind of the experience that you would need to be a millionaire to, to get before Uber turned up. So number one, super convenient. Number two, super immediate. It's on demand. No pre-planning is required to acquire these services. And I'm going to come back to the theme of on demand. And finally, it gives you a lot of visibility. So, again, some insights from our paralegal here. Anybody who's Gen Z or millennial might want to sit down, clutch, clutch your support animal, because before, before Uber, you actually had to, A, speak to someone on the phone and book a taxi, and they would always tell you that the taxi was around the corner. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it wasn't around the corner.
Think about all the information that's served to you automatically through Uber. You know, not just where the car is, but who's driving the car, what kind of car it is, how old it is, how good the driver is. And that information isn't just presented to you in the platform, it's also served to you proactively through push messages. So these three things, convenience, immediacy, visibility, are things that consumers love. And they're things that then were replicated in a bunch of other apps. So including Uber itself in food delivery, Uber Eats also comes in in 2015, but it also turns up in uh, grocery shopping, then last mile grocery shopping, and even things like dating. And all of a sudden, everything is Uberified. And the gap between legal throughput and how little technology has changed what we do and how much everything else has been changed by technology, that's your first headwind because that's what you're experiencing as unreasonableness. The natural segue here, of course, is into cellists. So imagine your brain. Each part of your brain is connected for the purposes of this um, scientific botch, uh, is connected to a piece of your body. So if you look at the, the brains of cellists, the, the parts of their brain that relate to the specific fingers that they use to touch the strings have more neurons in them than the parts of the brain that relate to the fingers they don't use. And you might say, well, of course that makes sense. Because if you're a cellist, you practice a lot. If you're a good cellist, you'll definitely practice a lot. So over time, your brain's going to adapt, et cetera, et cetera. So the cellist scientists, they were like, we need to test how quickly this changes. So they took people that used an old-style phone, where you had to poke the buttons, and switched to a smartphone. And they looked at their brains. And what they saw was that the neurons in the pointy fingers go down, and the neurons in the thumbs go up, and it takes 24 hours. That's how quickly your brain changes. Now let's think about what's happening in the world of knowledge around us, how we, how we consume information. The acquisition cost of knowledge is zero. It used to be the case that you had to read a lot and retain information, and that's what gave you the power. Now as a knowledge professional, you lose that power when the acquisition value of knowledge goes down. And everyone's brain is changing accordingly. So, People that now don't need to retain information, they just index it. They just need to know where to get it. The theme of on-demand comes up again. And of course, people's attention is going down. People are interested in things for less time and they're interested in more things. This chart's from Twitter. It shows how long the highest trending hashtag trends for. And essentially you see the highest trending hashtag trends for longer on the left-hand side of the chart, and as time goes on, it trends for less, because hashtags trend for less time, and that's a proxy for attention. So, second headwind. People's brains are changing. The way in which we consume knowledge is changing. Knowledge is now also on demand. And finally, trust. I would encourage all of you to read, uh, you can find it on Google, the Edelman Trust Barometer. Uh, it's a very fascinating and very scary bit of research that talks about Belief in institutions as a source of solutions. And essentially, I'll TLDR it for you. Belief in, in democratic countries, belief in institutions as a source of solutions in governments has gone catastrophically down. And belief in business, and specifically tech CEOs as a source of solutions, has gone enormously up. That's expressed here as a trust advantage for business. So you can see the US and the UK. The UK in particular, 
I mean, this may raise eyebrows. The government is not well trusted to deliver solutions. What does this mean for us? Laws and institution. Who do we hold up in society right now as the people who can create solutions for our society? Is it lawmakers or is it lawbreakers, right? So if you are an avatar for institutions, as we are, this is a headwind we've got to respond to. And, I, and I'll tell you when this kind of thing is experienced. It used to be the case, perhaps, that you could go into a room and say, this is illegal, we shouldn't do it. Ask all the, all the captains that got fired by P&O a couple of years ago how they feel about that particular piece. The CEO sat in front of a parliamentary select committee and said, yes, we chose to break the law. And everyone clutched their pearls and stuff, but that's the reality of the situation for some of us right now. So these are our three headwinds. Convenience, trust, changing consumption of knowledge. And you might say, oh, thank God, I thought it was just me, right? It might be you. But you also might say, well, look, I've got a bit of an innovator's dilemma here. Everyone kind of expects me to do the job that I'm doing right now. I don't really feel the sort of the flames at my feet in terms of having to change. Why should I change? Look at the headwinds. Do we think that they're going to change direction anytime soon? Okay. Do I think that people are going to want less convenience in the way in which services get delivered? Do I think that people are going to start all of a sudden trusting in government? Do I think that people are going to change the way in which they consume knowledge? I don't. And I think AI is going to absolutely supercharge those headwinds. It's going to turn them into head gales. We're doing some great stuff with AI. I would love to talk to you about it. We haven't got time today, but if you, there's a Crafty Council article that I wrote which talks about our work in that area. Love to follow up with any of you on that. But these winds are not going to change. So now you've got to think about yourself for a moment. I care very much about legal happiness. I love lawyers very much. It sounds a bit silly, but it's true. I think very many of you have skills that maybe are not being fully realized in the jobs that you do. Okay? So if you want to enjoy your work, if you want to not just feel like you're standing still, you've got to have a response to these headwinds. So I want to talk about how we respond to them at Travelbook. And the first thing that we do is to treat legal like a product. What's a product? It's got a customer, the customer's got a need, and you meet the need. It's that simple. How do you understand what a need is? Well, the first thing you've got to do is get rid of any presumptions that you might have as to what customers want and how legal gets delivered. Right? A lot of lawyers that I speak to will tell you, oh, our customers don't really know what it is that they want. Right? Or they just ask for things quickly and it's just, you know, they don't understand how complicated it is. That, to me, betrays a certain level of legal arrogance. You've got to put that to one side. Anything that you believe about how legal gets done, put it to one side. The second thing that you do not do is issue a survey. All right? I'll tell you what happens when you issue a survey. You send out a survey, a type form, to 1,500 people. You know, what, what's the one thing you would change about legal? And 80 right back saying, go faster. Right? So don't issue a survey. You've got to get out there and actually speak to your customers and understand what their deep needs are. At Travelpoke, we call that love bombing. There are three groups of people that we particularly focus on when we love bomb. The first one are our super users. Super users are people who use our legal services most. They use our chatbots most. They raise the most legal tickets on Zendesk, whatever it might be. However we define them, however you might define them in your head, there'll be people who use your services more than others. Those are the people with complicated needs. You should start building your product for those people first. Note, I haven't talked yet about seniority, and I'm not going to talk about seniority until the very end of this talk. 
The people who use your services most may not be the most senior. The people that you're going to build for may not be the most senior. Second group are unknowns. Those are people who are not using our services. Why might they not be using our services? Is it because they don't know where to go? Is it because they are doing something dangerous? Right? In both instances, those are things that I want to know. Okay? And then finally, there are newbies, people who are new to the business. They could be people that have never worked with the legal team before. They could be people that have got 25 years of working with complex legal. Both of those people have insights for your product that are very useful. Newbies, how to get access. When should I ask questions? Experienced people, they have things that you can steal. So go and steal from them. Three groups, very useful in building a product, all ripe for love bombing. So now you've got all this information, all of this data. You're going to need a, me a mechanism to sort that data. And it's very simple. We use a process called hyperspeed. And hyperspeed compares impact on travel perk with effort required to deliver. Easy. How big's the impact? How much resource are we going to need to put against it? Really simple. If it's high impact, high resource, that's going to be our one focus for the quarter. We're going to deliver that. Okay? But we're not just going to make that decision. We're also going to communicate our backlog to the entire rest of the business. So if you've asked us to do something, an example I gave yesterday was translate a contract into a particular language because your customer feels like it needs it. Okay. Okay, we'll consider that in the context of the business case. Is it going to impact travel perk? How much resources are required to deliver it? If it's not going to impact very much and a lot of resources are going to require, that is not going to happen. We are going to prioritize other things. And we're going to put it in a backlog. So we're going to tell you that at some point it might happen, but it's always going to be second to these other more important things. And then finally, like every tech product, you need a marketing department. We use influencers. Who are influencers? Again, not the most senior people in the business necessarily. But they, you'll have in your mind people that you know who have an outsized impact beyond their seniority. And what I would say is, if those people say that legal is meeting their needs, that's much more powerful than legal saying legal's meeting their needs. Okay? Use influencers liberally. Again, you will know who those people are. And providing key messaging to them and allowing them to tell your story for you will roll positivity up your organization. Kind of appropriate that I should finish with three failures, uh, given that. Right. Failure number one on the road to delivering value. I used to think that when we procure technology, you should procure to make your job faster. And that's wrong, because you should procure to get rid of the jobs that you just traditionally do. So think of it like a music artist. So here is somebody that does shows. Okay? They do shows, and they do shows to packed halls. Okay? There's only so many shows they can do in a week. There's only so many halls that they can, or tickets they can sell. Okay? So they've got two choices in relation to their technology. Number one, they could buy a tour bus. Right? And they could do more shows. They could get to shows feeling fresher, maybe do some more tickets in a week. It only ever scales so far. Or they could just put their catalog on Spotify and scale it infinitely. You need Spotify. You don't need a tour bus. Right? So when you procure technology, don't think about whether or not you can go faster. Think about whether or not you can take technology and make your job higher value. Why does that help with customers? Well, I can tell you, if you've got a queue of salespeople outside of your door waiting for their con contracts to be delivered, you can eliminate the queue if you let uh, or set salespeople up to self-serve. Second thing, a couple of jobs ago, I thought that we should be building for the C-suite, the people that pay 
the salary and all that sort of stuff. I thought they were really important stakeholders. And they are important stakeholders, but we don't build a product for them. Why is that? Because there are two personas in companies. There's everybody else, and there's the C-suite. And I'm talking in very broad terms here, obviously. The C-suite wants to sleep at night. They want you to give them the reassurance that everything's going to be fine. And that's a specific product need. And nobody else in the company thinks that. Again, talking broadly. What does everybody else in the company want? They want to have linear needs. Again, generally speaking. Make commission, go on holiday. Go faster, make more commission, go on a better holiday. Meeting that need of the mass. So travel plug, that's 1,500 people plus uh, outsource consultants and stuff. Meeting the needs of the mass will not get you the high fives that diving catches for the C-suite might do, but it's much more strategic in the long term. You're meeting the needs of a greater group of customers, and they will roll that positivity up the organization. A longer burn, but when it comes, it's a platform that you can work with. So meet the needs of the mass of your customers, not the needs of your most senior customers. And finally, don't be afraid to fail. And that sounds like it's a really obvious thing, and people say it like, you know, all that, but it really is important in relation to this stuff. When we talk about AI, for example, it can be tempting looking at LinkedIn to think that there's a party going on that you're not part of, or that the stable door has already got, been bolted, the horse is away over the horizon, whatever it is. If you're nervous about starting technology, try something. Again, I said earlier on, get rid of legal arrogance, but also get rid of the belief that you have to be right all of the time. Because when you're building products, you're not going to be right all the time. You're going to try something, and it's not going to work, and you're going to pivot, you're going to change it, you're going to try something else, and you're going to try, and you're going to try, and you're going to try, and eventually you're going to get there. And then you're going to bank that, and you're going to move on to the next thing. But unless you try, you will not build great products that your customers really like. So that's where I want to end up. We have an incredible opportunity today as a group of people to get together and talk about this kind of stuff. How do we drive value as a group of lawyers? So take a moment to think about those headwinds. Take a moment to think about whether they affect you. Take a moment to think about where you might learn in this festival something that you can take to try something different tomorrow in your workflow. I can tell you something. If you meet the needs of your customers, you will create value. Your customer will be happier. Your C-suite, if you care about them, they will be happier. But most importantly of all, you will be happier. Can I say you'll be loved? I don't know. But I do know that you'll feel more satisfaction from your work. So take the opportunity to meet and connect with people today. Thank you to Ben for having me along and for creating this wonderful event. I hope you have a fantastic day. Thank you. Are you enjoying this conversation and learning more about in-house legal careers? Well, discover an authentic and collaborative space where in-house legal professionals can share their experiences and learn from each other. At Crafty Council, we host a community for in-house legal professionals who are seeking joy, insight and connection in their careers. It's currently free to join and you'll receive exclusive access to events, meetups, online and in person, a peer-to-peer -peer messaging forum and loads more. So head to craftycouncil.co.uk slash community to register today.